It's another edition of the Talk to Best Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Soul, here on this Sunday, November the 6th. Hope everybody's doing well. If you want to check out the show, go to MetsmerizedOnline.com. Check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcasting service you desire. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. We can interact about the Mets, Knicks, whatever you want to talk about. This is the Mets podcast, but on Twitter, if you want to interact, I'll uh, I'll gladly interact with you about just about anything. First edition of the Hot Stove Talking Mets podcast. And uh, this will be a shorter show. We've been off pretty much since uh, John Delcos and I recap the Mets' loss to the Giants in the wild-card playing game. A lot has happened. The Cubs, of course, breaking the curse. And um, the baseball season came to a dramatic uh, close and, and a great close. And 40, was it 40 million people watched Game 7 on network TV, which are numbers for baseball and in general for sports in today's internet, cable. I mean, there's so many things to watch. It's all uh, stretched out. It's 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 cannibalized out there. That's amazing. Those are 1980s. Uh, it was actually the most watched, I guess, uh, World Series game since uh, 1991, since the Twins and the uh, the Braves. So it tells you, and everybody likes to get into narratives, and we'll get into that in a minute. Everybody likes to get into narratives about just about everything. Oh, baseball's boring. Nobody wants to watch it. Now the NFL stinks because the games stink and it's because of fantasy and the NBA stinks at one point because too much defense. I mean, everything kind of goes in cycles and, and everything is cyclical. The games don't stay the same. I mean, fundamentally, the sports, the rules, everything is always the same. I mean, the NFL and the NBA change rules, but fundamentally, the game's the same. But the way you attack, the way you go about Winning, that changes all the time, and some of them are exciting. Some of them are different uh, types of uh, uh, teams that, that score a lot or, or have unique characters. There's some teams just methodically plug it out or plod through things. I mean, you saw that with um, uh, in the 90s with the Knicks, you know, who are, who, are, who are not a sexy team in terms of aesthetics, but they, they were fun, and everybody here rooted for them, everybody loved them, and... So, you know, the point is you just don't know what's going to capture the public's attention, but certainly something like the Cubs winning and breaking this historic curse certainly got everybody's attention during an election cycle, uh, during a time where, I mean, staying up to 1 a.m., and, and I pretty much stayed up and, and watched that. Uh, for a non-New York team that I'm invested in is not something that I voluntarily do very often, but congratulations to the Cubs, and that kicks me off to where I want to start the off season. And um, I am going to get, even though we don't have a guest tonight, I am going to get some of your mailbag questions. Joe DeCaro of MetsmerizedOnline.com was kind enough to throw me some of the best questions he had so far to kick off the offseason. But I want to start with what could the Mets learn from the Cubs? And it has nothing to do with, hey, go out and get yourself or draft yourself Chris Bryan or find yourself a Kyle Schwaber or you know, maybe sign Dexter Fowler. We'll get into that in a minute. But what impressed me about the Cubs is that the minute that the Mets swept them in the NLCS in 2015, that entire organization from top to bottom focused on, legitimately focused on getting back and winning. Similar to what the Kansas City Royals had done the prior year. A unilateral focus. Everything they did was, we're going to get back. The, the organization knew, everybody knew coming into that situation, 
what was expected. Anything less than getting to that World Series and winning that championship would be a disappointment. I don't want to say a failure, but a disappointment. And they accomplished it. And they were a team that was together. They were a team that was, uh, uh, you know, I'm not saying everybody loved each other because I don't know. I don't follow them intricately like that. But they certainly all knew their roles. They played their roles to the, to, to the best of their ability. Their role fit into what the team wanted to do. And they won, and it sounds simple, but that's what this Mets team needs to do. And I think one of the things that plagued the Mets last year from World Series to spring training is that it was a disjointed offseason in the sense where everything was about what's going on with Cespedes. And they dragged that sucker out almost into February. And I understand from a negotiating standpoint, that was what needed to get done. And maybe in a lot of ways, the Mets didn't want Cespedes last year. Maybe they just, indeed, he fell into their lap. Imagine if they didn't get him. It's very quite possible we'd be talking about a second division club now and how that second division club was a flash in the pan the prior year. What I think the Mets need to do is start now and build this team now and have his I'm not saying turnover sometimes is a good thing. You want you don't want to just bring people back for the sake of it, especially depending on some of the contracts that maybe a Jerry Blevins or a Cespedes will get. You know, I mean, on a lesser extent, I don't know if Kelly Johnson's always you know going to price himself out of the market, but you got some guys out there, free agents that you just don't know. Fernando Salas, you don't want to just say, hey, let me sign these guys at all costs, but. To me, what this Mets team needs to do to get this offseason, which has already gotten off to a rocky start with the familiar news, the whole domestic violence situation, which we don't know, that's, that will play out, uh, I believe the 10th is his court date, so that's, that's later this week. He's certainly going to get suspended. I mean, from the political correctness situation, the league has got to suspend him, whether he's found guilty. I mean, I don't agree with he if he's found not guilty, just like Chapman. It's hard for me to say how can you suspend somebody if the, if the court of law, at least with the legal gamesmanship of the court of law, found him innocent. How you could suspend somebody? I think you're 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 reaching as a league in that. But because of the nature of the world today, that's what's probably going to happen. So his family is probably going to go down. He's probably going to go down for about 30 games. So you're probably looking at a couple of months already to start the season with your first a dark cloud, which is your closer is not going to be available. But with that, with put that aside for a minute. What the Mets need to do this offseason is I think they need to channel a little bit of what they did, what Steve Phillips and the Wilpons did along at that time, Nelson Doubleday, in the winter of 1998. Now remember something. Similar to Ioannis Cespedes, Mike Piazza, and you could argue you know, Mike was a better player, more dynamic player, player that wanted to be here, whatever you want to say. But Mike Piazza, when he was, they traded for him in 1998. They traded for him knowing they'd only have him for that season. And they were going for that 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 situation that season. And they were hoping that he would get them to the playoffs, and then who knows. He re-energized in, in, in the fan base. The, the attendance went up. He became the heart and soul of the entire offense. In a lot of ways, he was the face of the team. So when it came to free agency that year, there were a lot of people. Up until September, when and Mike has told this story, the year, you know, especially this year where he was inducted into the Hall of Fame and the Mets retired. You've heard a lot of Mike Piazza. But it looked like he was not going to come back to the Mets as, as late as August, early September. You heard the Rockies and the Cubs and, and the Orioles and the Angels and maybe even he going back to the Dodgers. So when they hit the offseason, and during that time, I believe it was a 15-day window after the World Series where you had exclusive negotiating rights, not the little five, five days now. The Mets went out there, 
and they made their best and final offer. They said, look, this is what we can do. You want to take it? That's great. We're ready to move forward with you. They did the same thing a lot with Al Leiter. Al Leiter was a free agent that year, too, and he was a big part. I mean, he and Piazza. Leiter was the heart and soul of that pitching staff, and Piazza was the heart and soul of that offense. You know, they made them offers. They wanted to lock them up, and they wanted to move on with that offseason. Because if Piazza did not stay, or Piazza dragged that out into mid-December, uh, January, whatever it may be, it affects what they do with the rest of the roster. At that time, they need to figure out what to do with Hunley. Would they be able to go out and have to sign another offensive player? They had given up prospects for Piazza, so that you know, in, the, in and of itself was reason to say, let's leverage those assets. So what I'm saying is this, is the Mets, I think, need to approach Ioannis Cespedes the same way. From a negotiating standpoint, of course, you want to come in, and Sandy Olson likes to come in and jump in late and get a value-driven deal. And I'm not saying you go out and you give Cespedes whatever the hell he wants. I mean, I think he's a dynamic player. He certainly annoys me sometimes with his mercurial nature. I'm not sure he's the leader in the sense where you're going to look at him and when he doesn't run everything out or he plays golf on a game day. He's not a guy that you're going to say, hey, you know, that's the guy I want to model his work ethic. I want to model his personality. But he's, he's a dynamic player that changes that lineup. And he is 31 years old, and there are, there are risks with signing him. But if I'm the Mets, I go out and I say, hey, let me make you my best offer. Here's the time period you have to accept this. You have to be reasonable. But if you don't accept it by this date, or this is not going to work for you, then i got to move on because the nature of this team changes. The Cespedes team and the team without Cespedes are different because then at that point you have to say, do you go out and are you going to reallocate whatever you were going to pay Cespedes to go after a Jose Bautista, an Edwin Encarnacion, a Mark Trumbo? I don't know if that's the way. You know, just to go out and get a slugger for the sake of getting a slugger, I'm not sure that's the way to go because you're going to change the offense. Maybe you've turned it into more balanced offense. Maybe you look at a Dexter Fowler. Maybe you look at Justin Turner. I'm not sure Justin Turner would want to come back here. I think he's more of a West Coast guy, and I don't think things, from what I understand, things left off on the right foot when Turner was here. But the point is, no matter where the Mets go this offseason, I think they need to start with the focus that, okay, we're gonna, our focus is to get back to the playoffs, win the division because it's a better path to the playoffs, and win championship. Mets want to be what the Cubs are. Mets want to be what the Royals were. They've, they've sat back now and they've watched teams that, one team that they beat a year ago, that they were ahead, now jump ahead of them and accomplish the goal. And another team, the Royals, take what was, I think, theirs away. You have a great foundation with this pitching staff. That's what's going to be the heart and soul of this team. Cespedes makes this lineup, and you bring back Neil Walker, which sounds like that's what they want to do. You, you bring Cologne in for some insurance. I don't know what they're going to do with Blevins. Uh, it sounds like he may get a lucrative multi-year deal, but you can probably replace a left-hander reliever. So, you know, that's a different situation. Kelly Johnson's a nice bench bat. I think it shouldn't be too big of a, a deal to bring him back. And Fernando Salas, I don't know if he's going to get big money to be a closer somewhere or maybe uh, you know, too lucrative a multi-year deal to be someone set up, man, but I'd like to bring him back too. And away you go, uh, where now you've got pretty much your team set, and then you've got to figure out what you're going to do. So here's the thing. You bring Cespedes back, you may have to trade Granderson. You know, maybe the Jay Bruce, qualif- uh, the, the, the option they picked up, maybe now he becomes trade bait. Everything goes into motion. But if you jerk around with this, even until 
you know, much past the winter meetings. You got to go into the winter meetings with some clarity. Because the winter meetings might be a situation where now you got to execute plan B, plan C. You know, you saw with Zobris last year when the Mets lost Zobris. They had a, they had plan B, but they had to act quick. It, this thing moves real quick. It's like a carousel. It's like, uh, you know, what is it, the old uh, musical chairs? You don't want to be the one left without a chair at the end of all this. So that to me is what the Mets can learn from the Cubs. The first thing is go out there and have a unilateral unified, focus goal of getting back. That's everybody should be talking about. I don't want to hear about rest. I don't want to hear about let's see what happens. Let's play it out. You know, let's go. You know, the, the whole mindset from spring training was bad. It was disjointed. And the Mets came into last year. I don't care what anybody says. They came into April getting themselves into shape to p- compete. And then they got off to a hot start, but it all caught up to them. And eventually the wheels fell off, and then the team finally got together late thanks to a lot of young players that were making up their 40-man roster um, and a favorable schedule to make the playoffs. And they have a lot of depth, and that's another thing. You know, you don't sign Cespedes. You may have to start picking away at that depth. Guys like Gazelman and Seth Lugo, unless you think these guys are magic beans and pixie dust, that they're flashes in the pan, you want to trade them and get the most you can right now, you're going to need them. You're going to need, you went through 12 pitchers this year. Now that's a little obscene, but you're going to need seven or eight or nine starters. Not every one of those starters is going to come back. And I'm sure as, as, as anything I'm saying here, here on November 6th, somebody's not going to be ready for the start of the season. You already got one guy that's probably not going to be there, which is familiar because he's probably going to be suspended. So I have no, listen, so far with what has come out, not surprised, obviously, that Cespedes opts out. I'm sure they're going to make him the qualifying offer. Uh, they made Neil Walker the qualifying offer. will be interesting to see what the market is with his back. It sounds like, and I was reading a lot of what Adam Rubin had to report because they take very seriously Adam's sources and Adam's, uh, Adam Rubin of ESPN, of course, uh, what he has to say. sounds like the Mets are not concerned about the back with Neil Walker. If they aren't, then you know, why would someone else not be? And let me tell you, I know what's going to happen. If Neil Walker gets any kind of three-year contract that's in the vicinity or slightly more than when Daniel Murphy got, people are going to cry wide and they give that to Murphy. One other revisionist history from the postseason. Murphy was a bad defensive player, cost them a lot of ways, cost them the World Series with that play. I know they wouldn't have gone there without him. I said this before, cost them the World Series with that botched ground ball. He had basically a small... 12 or 13 week period where he was an elite hitter and he wasn't even the elite hitter that you saw this year MVP hitter during that period and uh, you know there was nothing from an from a from a historical or process standpoint to believe that he was going to put up those kind of numbers and to, to to tell you how the Washington Nationals weren't planning on that he wasn't even their first choice it was Brandon Phillips so it's not really fair because Neil Walker is a solid defensive player. He's a guy who could pop you 25 home runs. He seems like he's a good teammate. If he's healthy, he's going to play 150 games. And now that hopefully this whole back situation is, is worked out, maybe you know, you'll see more of the Neil Walker that you saw this year and more consistency than maybe the, the version that seemed to be a little streaky and, and went to, to, to deep valleys at various points. As far as Bartolo Colon, um, it depends on what they want to do to bring him back. I don't anticipate them bringing back 
a for uh, signing a pitcher for more than one year, a veteran pitcher. They got too much inventory of arms right now to do that. If Cologne doesn't come back, maybe an R.A. Dickey uh, is someone that you could look at, somebody who, who's you know north of 40, probably won't command a multi-year deal, has been, has been successful here. I know he didn't always – I know he rubbed his teammates a little bit the wrong way when he was here because of the book and you know Mount Kilimanjaro, and it became a lot about R.A. Dickey uh, those last years there because of his story and you know his book and what have you. But that, you know I, this is a different group. I'm not quite sure that it, that matters anymore. Another pitcher that may fall into that value one-year signing of Cologne is not uh, an option or decides to go somewhere else is uh, Doug Fister. I know that he doesn't miss a lot of bats. Uh, you know, since he was injured with the Nationals a couple of years ago, his walk rate's gone up, which has hurt his performance because he's not a guy that strikes a lot of guys out. But that's another name I'd look out there. Some relievers, uh, you know, that have been bandied about. Peter Moylan, a right-hand reliever. I think Joe Smith is somebody they should look at. I know that you hear Joel Sherman talk about Joel Sherman, the New York Post, and a lot of writers say, well, now the only way you can win is if you do what the Indians and the uh, the Cubs uh, did, was just bring in these lights out closers like Kenley Jansen and uh, and Aroldis Chapman, and and, and it, this is it goes back to what I said in the open. This is a copycat league. I remember when the Florida Marlins, now the Miami Marlins, won the World Series in 2003 with Juan Pierre and Luis Castillo at the top of the lineup. Everyone talked about how oh, the league's got to go back to speed. That's what you have to do. You can't win just with power. You got to go back to speed. So what happens? The Red Sox will win the next year. What a power-laden on-base percentage line. Hey, no, you gotta, only way you could win is with on-base percentage. It's, it's just, you know, last year, the Mets made the World Series. You've got to have young starting pitching. There's not one way to skin a cat here, guys. There's not one way. You could build a team, and the different teams could win for different reasons. But I can tell you, the Mets do have the one thing that a lot of teams are always going to need, and that's starting pitching. You're going to need that. If they could uh, uh, complement that bullpen, uh, I think Familia, Reed, Salas, if he could come back, is solid. I don't trust Robles. I try to bring in another veteran reliever. I don't think they're going to go to Kenley Jansen or all this Chapman route. I don't think they have to. You know, you don't, I mean, maybe the utilization or how they use pitchers is going to be a little different, but the Mets have three closers right now. Salas was a closer with the Cardinals. Reed was a closer with the Arizona. You know, Familia is their closer. We'll see what happens with that. Uh you know, those other teams, like the Cubs you know, and, the, and the Indians, they had some good pitchers, but they, you know, the Mets had some, some, some quality from the 7-8-9 position. Uh, you know, people forget Addison Reed was very good the whole year. At times, statistically, he was right up there with Andrew Miller. Now, I'm not saying he's as good or his lights out, but he was as good as Andrew Miller at times. So let's not forget that. The Mets have a lot. This is a good roster, but you want to be able to go in with I guess you want to be able to solve some things early because there's a lot of moving parts, especially in the outfield. And it all starts with Yoana Cespedes and figuring out what they're going to do with Cespedes. And I think you go out, you say, this is what we're going to offer. This is the best we're going to do. If it's not good enough and you don't want to be here, sure, your reps have, his representatives have every right to go out and get him the best offer. But at some point, you can't be the fallback. And you also can't be the one that's stealth in the bushes looking to jump out at uh, the, the, the last hour, the 11th hour. I just don't think that that's a negotiating point. It's going to be effective for building a team. Yes, in a vacuum, it's the best probably negotiating factor with this guy. Let's see where the market goes. That's what Sandy Alderson likes, but I don't think it's the way that the Mets are going to get the best team out on the field. All right, let me take a quick break. When I return, I'm going to take some mailbag questions. 
Um, GM meetings this week. Next week, we'll recap the GM meetings. We'll try to get maybe one of the writers on, see what the, the pulse of what's going on in baseball. I wanted to set everything up this week, do something a little different. And, uh, you know, this is something that maybe during the offseason, kind of a state of the union, so to speak, might be something fun to do. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You could always check out the show at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And uh, check me out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be right back. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, Talking Mets podcast, and as promised, um, I'm going to take some questions from you guys. You know, one thing I before I get to it that I want to do, we didn't do it during the season. I think we can do it. I have to set this up with Joe Dakar over at MetsMarriedOnline.com. Is we'll do a live show with Colin. Maybe we'll do that during the. Um, I'm going to target. It'll probably be a little bit later at night. Probably be like a nine o'clock type of show on a weekday night, and. Um, We'll do it maybe right after the winter meetings end. Kind of a let's see what the fans think and what have you. Do an hour show, see how many calls you get. I think we get some good calls from the from the audience, especially if it's planned properly. But I've done everything pre-recorded, and 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 the, the value pre-recorded is that you could clean things up, make it sound better. Obviously, uh, when you get guests, sometimes that's a little bit of a fluid situation. But here I said, hey, let's get some mailbag questions. Let's start and see what's on the minds of. The fan base as we head into the GM meetings, which is really the foundation and what sets up the winter meetings. The winter meetings has become a carnival, a televised carnival. The GM meetings, I think, is where a lot of meat and potatoes happen, where then you go to the winter meetings and you make those final stages of deals or whatnot, or at least you begin your planning here. So let's get to some of the questions here. First question here from MetsFan71. He says... Uh, he or she, I shouldn't assume it's a male. Uh, will Wilmer Flores ever get a chance to play every day, or is he doomed to a utility role while, until he eventually ends up somewhere else doing his best Justin Turner impression? That's not a bad question. Um, I don't think Wilmer Flores is going to play every day. Uh, I think Lucas Dude is going to be the first baseman. I think Flores is going to spot him at at first against lefties. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays a little bit third. Uh, you know, who knows at second right now what the situation is going to be. Let's remember something. As good as everybody likes, you know, as much as everybody likes Wilmer Flores, um, you know, he's a little bit above league average player. He's been a below league average hitter his, his career so far. He could certainly pop a home run. Let me pull up his numbers right here in 2016. In 2016, he had 16 home runs, 49 RBIs, a 267 average. 
And he killed, I mean absolutely killed left-handed pitching. Hit 340 with an OPS over 1,000. But he was very bad against right-handed pitching with a, a 232 average and, uh, uh, you know, five home runs, a 642 OPS. You know, he was a bad hitter against right-handed pitching. So to answer your question, um, that's not going to get it done in terms of me believing he's going to be Justin Turner. Now, uh, Justin Turner, let me just give you guys something to think about because this goes back to the whole Murphy thing. One of the things from what I understand with Justin Turner, who, remember, was let go by the Baltimore organization as well. Justin Turner was essentially given the second base job in 2011 and was, you know, hit 260 with four home runs, 50 RBIs. Um, I know Terry Collins liked the way he, he played and how he grinded out at bats and things like that. I think some of what their issues were there was that Turner kind of clowned around a lot. Um, he was loose in the clubhouse. I'm not sure how that sat with uh, the front office at, at, at various times. Uh, I know that they didn't always like that. They, they, they non-tendered him because they think that didn't sit well with them. So, you know, there's a lot that, that, that comes into play when a player is let go like that. I don't know if Wilma Flores uh, is viewed in the same way, certainly. But I would say this, you know, I don't think anybody could have predicted what Justin Turner was going to do. And I'm actually going to try to bring up Justin Turner's minor league numbers right here. Because I don't even know if his minor league numbers gave you an indication of the kind of power that he could uh, have created. And, of course, Baseball Reference now is uh, doing its best addition of conking out on me. But, um, I mean, there was nothing, nothing about Justin Turner that screamed 30 home runs, one of the best hitters in baseball. Uh, you know, it's almost like Murphy and Turner. If they had hit like this with the, when they were the Mets, you know, they would have been cornerstone players. The Mets would have invested in them. They never saw anything. There was nothing in the process that they saw that made them think that that's, you know, this was something that's, uh, that's possible. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's a lot of what goes into the decision making. Yeah. So I got Justin Turner's minor league stat. I mean, Justin Turner, and let's remember, uh, he was playing in, uh, in the Baltimore organization for the majority of his minor league career. I mean, his most home runs he ever hit was 12 home runs. He was a pretty decent hitter in the minor leagues. Played um, played some outfield plays. I mean, he really, uh, you know, he played all over the diamond. He really wasn't anything that, uh, and he actually, I should remember, Cincinnati gave up on him. So he was originally a member of the Reds. Then he went to the Orioles and the Mets. So the Mets are not the only organization that let him go. Um, and I really have a hard time saying that Justin Turner wasn't given a fair shake because I remember Mets fans hated Justin Turner when he was here. They didn't like Terry even using him off the bench in big spots. So hard for me. It's a little bit of a revisionist history. But the point is, I know what the, 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 fan, the, the, the fan was trying to say is that Flores needs a chance. He's really not giving you any indication that he get it right-handed pitching. He's giving you an indication that he is a platoon player. And, uh, you know, I know what you're going to say. Until you really get a shot to hit right-handed pitching, you, you won't. But I even look at him from a process standpoint, I just don't see it. I don't see him. I see him as a guy that's going to be a 300-at-bat guy, um, fill in at first, play a little second, play a little third. I would keep him away from shortstop unless it's an absolute emergency, and uh, that's the way I would go with Wilma Flores. Russ P., will there be another all-or-nothing offensive team next season, or will we bring in some players who can get on base and move runners over? I wanted Dexter Fowler last offseason, and now I like him even more this offseason. He would look better than Jose Reyes at the top of the order. Well, Russ, I think this goes back to my open. And what the Mets will do, it all depends on Cespedes. If you bring Cespedes back, 
then if you want to bring in a Fowler, you're going to have to trade a Granderson. You may have to trade a, a Bruce or both to move some money. Um, you have to figure out Conforto. And that's the big thing in all this is what's Conforto? I mean, Conforto's the guy who shouldn't be an all-or-nothing type of hitter. At one point in April, I compared him to John Olerud. He reminded me of John Olerud. Spraying the ball. All fields. Um, I think a lot of their all-or-nothing offense had to do with the fact that, that, that they didn't have Cespedes for that big period. That's when they were really all-or-nothing. Um, it's a matter of how players are pitched to. I, I think you saw less of that at times later in the year. But, I mean, this team is built on the home run. There's no doubt about it. This is a team that, other than Jose Reyes, really can't manufacture runs because they don't have guys who are fast. Um, their hitters are not hitters that are just going to go the other way. It's, a, you know, it's the type of hitters they have. You'd have to change the entire team. And one player, even a Dexter Fowler, is not going to do that. Now, the thing about Fowler is, is that he brings you a, an on-base percentage situation that you don't even get with Cespedes. I mean, Fowler's a guy who could be at 380, 390, maybe 400 uh, speed and things of that nature. So... I don't disagree with you. I just don't know if Fowler fits into their plans unless Cespedes walks. And that's why you need to know early. Because you think Fowler's going to sit around all winter like he did last winter? I mean, who knows? Maybe the Cubs sign him. I don't know what the Cubs' plans are. I mean, I, I all we know is they non-tender Jason Hamill. So, I mean, that's all they know. I mean, I don't think the Cubs are just going to let Fowler walk. And why would he want to leave a good situation? I mean, obviously, it's about him getting the right contract. He didn't get the multi-year deal that he wanted. Uh, this past off season. So I like, uh, you know, Dexter Fowler's a guy, but remember Dexter Fowler. Now you're going in a different direction when you let Cespedes go. You're going to a more balanced offense. And at times you guys are going to sit around. I know it's going to happen in June and July. And when there's that big moment, think about how Cespedes took that uh, Adam Wainwright pitch and, and uh, the home run against the Marlins and extra innings. You need that dynamic player. You need that Piazza strawberry kind of player too. Bring the offense together. You're going to be back, and you're going to be sitting there going, geez, this offense is nice, but geez, could you imagine if you had that middle of the order, that straw, quote-unquote, to stir the drink? So that's just something to think about. So I, I, don't, I don't disagree. It is a problem, the home run or nothing, but, and I complained about it, but I'm not sure that if you look at the overall team, there's a lot you could do with it. Now, you remember, you have the guys like T.J. Rivera um, <clears throat> that uh, you know, could play a part, at least as a backup. Uh, you know, this all depends on Neil Walker. I think if Neil Walker doesn't come back, T.J. Rivera is that kind of player as well. Um, but, you know, certainly Reyes at the top of the order, forget Fowler for a minute, gives you at least somebody who can manufacture a run. You saw him do that against the Cubs in Chicago in that game that they won with Familia danced out of the jam where it was a Reyes triple that got the, the Mets back in the game and the game tied. So you have someone like that in Reyes. Fowler's an interesting guy, but it all starts with Cespedes. I'm not sure I'm ready to sacrifice Cespedes to go in that direction with Fowler. But that's my, my, my opinion on that. And uh, let's wrap up. One more question here as we wrap up the, um, the podcast here. Uh, Travis113, we have to do something at catcher. I will lose my mind if we go into next season with Darno as the starting catcher. The guy is not the power hitter. Scouts predicted, and his defense sucks. He can't throw anyone out. It's time to get a real catcher who can hit. What do you think about Matt Wieters or Jason Castro? Well, if you want a catcher who can hit, Jason Castro is not that guy. Guy strikes out a lot. I know he's a free agent. He's with the Astros. I looked at it, and I don't I haven't seen enough of him to see what kind of. And normally with catchers, I like catch and throw guys. 
guys who could call a ball game veterans. But I think I don't think anybody comes here is going to call a ball game anyway because I think the bench calls everything from what I see uh, anyway. Uh, Jason Castro doesn't excite me. I think you already have uh, better options with Darno and Rivera and Plowicki than Jason Castro. Now, Matt Wieters is interesting. Um, Wieters, uh, even though he had the arm issues that kept him out, um, can hit. I don't know what kind of multi-year deal he would require. He was a below-league average hitter last year. I started to look. I mean, he had a horrible uh, run where he hit about a buck 15 in July, so that brought him down a little bit. Uh, you know, hit 243 last year, 17 home runs, 66 RBIs. A lot of what you see in Wieters is what you think Darno can give you. He just hasn't, um, which is so frustrating. I understand the frustration with Darno. Uh, you know, I, I think unless you have such a clear-cut upgrade, somebody who absolutely is leaps and bounds better, I wouldn't just give up Darno without that player. Now, is Wieters that guy, 30 years old? You know, he's a couple of years removed from 20 home runs. He is a guy, Wieters, that you'd hope would hit 20 home runs, driving 80 runs. He's not an on-base guy. I mean, he's not a bad defensive player. I'm just looking at his numbers. You know, he can. He's well above the league average in throwing uh, base runners out. He was at uh, 35% caught stealing. So, you know, his arm is healthy. He's had gold gloves in the past. Wieters is a guy that I would have them go after. Now, again, with their budget, with with uh, with Walker's potential salary and Cespedes. I mean, this goes back. I keep going back to the original point in the open. I can't tell you if they can go after Wieters because i got to see what they're going to do with Cespedes. It all starts with Cespedes. It really does. Um, in a vacuum, Wieters over Darno. Yeah, and then at that point, you either make Darno the backup and move on from Rene Rivera, who's a nice veteran but limited in what he can do uh, offensively. Um, and then Plowicki's your insurance at AAA. I mean, Plowicki doesn't have much of an option here at this point. You know, he's got options, and he's not going to like it, but he hasn't shown any reason to make you keep him in the big leagues. And then you obviously you'll sign someone like Rene Rivera to be in Vegas. Uh, you know, was it Nevin Ashley or whatever they had at Vegas? So, I mean, that's all these signed guys like that. You know, someone to have at Vegas. So. Uh, I think, it, again, the theme of the show, and I'm going to leave you guys all with this, the theme of the show is this, that you have to be able to see what's going to happen with Uanus Cespedes. All this other stuff, Justin Turner, uh, Matt Wieters, any of these other moves that they're trying to make, uh, doesn't matter because until that is resolved and the Mets say, we're done with you or you're signed, and that, I, I hope, comes sooner rather than later, I don't think you're going to be able. I think you're going to be. It's like a traffic jam in the Midtown Tunnel at 5:30 on a Friday. Nothing's going to happen until something gives out. Until that clog is 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 opened, nothing's going to happen. So, well, anyway, hope everybody enjoyed me returning to the air. I'll be back now weekly, for the most part, except for the holidays. Um, you can always check out the show at metsmarizeonline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Check out iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. See you guys next week.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.